church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we lift you up. Because whatever we do, we do it for your glory, God. And we thank you for all that you do for us. We pray, Lord, that you'd be honored in hearing, in doing, in seeing. And as the Holy Spirit moves in this church, Lord, I pray that we would learn to love So there was this farmer who had a good deal of land. He had about 200 acres. The land had been in his family for a long time, at least three generations. His great-granddad bought it off the government during the settlement years, around the 1800s. He planted all kinds of crops in this field, corn, wheat, barley, was actually called crop rotation. He learned it from his grandfather, and it actually helped to keep the land to stay fertile, and it had different crops in it, as many as you well know here. He took over the land from his father, and he took it over from his father, and he took it over from his father, and so on. And they had about 175 acres that they planted. on it, and I found out some pretty funny answers. And actually, if you go down Division, you'll see a farm right there at 100th Street. There's a big field of crops. There's one lone tree right out in the middle. My wife called it Sylvia. We drive by Sylvia, and we think about that tree a lot now. One person said it was there for the bats to have a place to nest and hang out and eat all the insects. I thought, oh, that's an interesting statement. One person said that it was there for a marker, a division of the land. I kind of couldn't understand that one, but I mean, I guess I could, but it, you know, it's like it's in the middle, so who gets the other side? You know, just... Another person said it was there to help with lightning strikes. Well, that was interesting. So the one lone tree out in the middle of the field is there to get struck by lightning so it doesn't hit the crops. And I thought, but if it gets struck by lightning, it's wood, it's going to set fire, and then it's going to burn down the crops anyway. So I didn't know that that was the reason it was there. However, after careful thought and lots of research, one person, one farmer told me, why they have the one lone tree? told me it was because they needed it for refuge and shelter during the hot summer months when they were planting. I thought that was interesting. They said, so what they would do is they would plow the field. This is before machinery was really invented. They would plow the field with the horses, and they'd get halfway through and down the middle, and they left that one tree so the horses could hang out underneath the shade of the tree, and the farmer could do the same. And I thought, oh, that makes sense. And then they said, 
tree's also there because Grandpa and Grandma carved their name in it with a little heart. And it's where they fell in love. And so it had practical purpose. It was a refuge, a place they could find from the heat and the sun and the the, the summer bearing down sun and heat, they could find that refuge place, but it was also a sentimental place, a place in their heart that they knew that that's where grandma and grandpa fell in love. And they bought the land, and it was that idea that made them complete. And it was that utter, complete understanding of why there was that one lone tree. See, Webster's Dictionary tells us that refuge is a condition of being safe or sheltered from pursuit, danger, or trouble. Something providing a shelter, something to which one has resource in difficulty. So when you go by, because nowadays farmers have giant tractors, machines, but they keep the one lone tree because of the sentimental
we can take refuge in Him. Obviously, God is not a physical protection for us. He's not a defensive wall or a strong fortress. But it does mean that God is our refuge, our place where we can put our trust in Him to protect us. And that's what David was doing. He was putting his trust in God. Jesus is our place where we can put our trust in. It's really that simple. Salvation in Christ's work on the cross is that refuge, that shield, that safety, that shade. In the midst of all the struggles we're having today, God is the place we put our trust in. God is the faithful one, even when we are faithless, 2 Timothy 3.13. See, what's interesting to me today is we are living in a time that is reverting back to what original societies were. Tribalism. We're becoming a tribalistic society. Before the United States was ever a a country, everything was tribal, even including the Jewish nation. It was a bunch of 12 tribes of Israel. And the Benjaminites were just above, if you ever look at a map, they were just above, and they were the smallest ones, just above the tribe of Judah. Do you know who came from the tribe of the Benjaminites? The Israelites' first king. King who? King Saul. He was a Benjaminite. And he had a guy in his ear telling him all these things about David. And he's saying to him, this guy's going treason. You need to do something about it. And so they had tribes, and they actually fought a lot. I don't know if you knew this or not. They actually would get into fights. In fact, there's actually tribes that would deal with, for example, the Philistines. And they never took over the land of the Philistines, and they started to intermarry with them. They started having issues because we lived in a tribal society. And if it wasn't tribes trying to do things, it was dictators or kings or monarchs. And so, we now are starting to revert back to our tribal instincts, for lack of a better term. Because for about 200 years, we decided to say, we don't need a king, we don't need tribes, we are united, and we created a thing called the Constitution that we all wanted to live by. We all agreed on it. In fact, we all made amendments to the Constitution in certain areas, in certain ways, because we wanted to stay united. And that is now going away. If you don't believe me, turn on the television. It's Democrats versus Republicans. It's woke versus non-woke. It's people who like Christians and people who hate Christians. We've become a society of tribes now. We're the East Coast. You're the West Coast. It's getting to the point of sadness that we've walked away from unity and being unified. And the church is doing it itself. I literally had 
had someone say to me the other day, I'm not sure you're a Christian. And I was like, what, what do you mean? Well, I'm a Reformed Christian, and I'm a Reformer. I'm not sure you know what that is. I'm like, oh, I know what that is. Congratulations, you're welcome to your tribe. I was saddened by it. And literally, it was, a, it was an issue of, you don't know Christianity because you're not a part of this church. You're not really a pastor because, well, you're just, you're a Baptist. Wow. I thought to myself, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's what you prayed, that's what I'm going to pray. Because I believe wholeheartedly that if you believe in Jesus Christ, I don't care what you claim to follow. I don't care what tribe you're a part of or what church you're a part of, unless you're a church that teaches something opposite of the gospel, that teaches something that has to add on to the gospel. I had another conversation with a guy who's a pastor who said to me, I'm not really saved because, one, I don't go to his church. I thought, wow, that's very arrogant of you. Two, I haven't spoken in tongues yet, so I haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he said to me, do you have things in your, do, do you guys use pianos and organs and, and drums and guitars and all that stuff when you sing worship? And I said, yeah, every once in a while. Why? Oh, then you're not really a Christian because you need to only sing a cappella. What? Yeah, because God's not going to hear your worship. And I thought, why are we such in tribal fightings? And I realized we're going back, we're reverting back as a society. I'm a part of this tribe. I'm a part of this tribe. I'm a part of this tribe. And even when we weren't even here as Christians, what did the Native Americans do? They fought against each other. Tribe against tribe. So the reality is, where do we put our trust in? My trust is not in a tribe. It's not in a document. It's not even in a church history. My trust is in God. My refuge is in Jesus. Whether someone thinks I'm a follower of Jesus Christ because I don't go to the right tribe or I'm not part of the right club or I'm not in on the right crowds, I know that even though I am faithless, God remains faithful and He's the one I can look to because God, He has the character. He is the loving. He is the kind. He is the faithful, strong, gentle, peaceful, trustworthy, righteous, right judge. He's many more things. He is our refuge. He's our place we can find safety from the lions, ready to tear our souls apart and rendering it into pieces. He is our deliverer. That's what we need to realize. That's the tribe I want to be in. In fact, it's not even a tribe, it's a family. I want to be part of God's family. Not because I go to the right church. Not because I vote the right way. Not because I believe in whatever woke thing there is today. But because I know that God is right the righteous right judge. And so we plant the seed, we water the seed, but God is the one who grows the seed in our refuge. Boy, 
was a reprimand. But they call him Dr. Martin Luther King because guess what? If you just take his name and call him Dr. Martin Luther King, then you don't really, it doesn't really matter what he was a doctor of. Does anyone here know where he got his doctorate? When he got it? He got his doctorate in systematic theology from Boston University, 1955. And he was a reverend of a Baptist church in the South. And he was fighting to end slavery. There was a young man that came alongside him named Reverend Billy Graham. They became great friends. And they worked to end racism. But they don't call him Reverend anymore because they want to refer to him as doctor because they don't want Christianity to be the reason why he fought for equal rights. Because if you call him Reverend, people are going to go, wait a minute, Reverend? I thought he was doctor. Yeah, yeah, the school actually teaches now. Not reverend, it's just doctor. So Christians know Satan is at work in many areas of our lives. He's killing, and he hates Christians. And that's the main reason. Christians were the ones who opened up hospitals. Why do you think all the hospitals are called Saint something? Well, Providence in Detroit, where two of my sons were born, Saint Mary's. Many of it was because Christians wanted to take care of those who were less fortunate. So they started churches. I mean, they started hospitals. They wanted to take care of those who couldn't afford it. Do you know who Stalin killed when he first took over for Lenin in the USSR? Do you know who the first things he killed? Priests. Killed off all the Christians and the priests. Do you know who Mao in China killed first when he took over as a communist? He killed all the priests and the Christians. It's happening in the world today as we see it now. You know who the ones who were first attacked in Ukraine? It was churches. started attacking churches. Satan is at work today, and he's trying to get rid of Christians. Satan is at work today, and he's trying to redefine words. Satan is at work today, he's trying to redefine Christianity. Satan is our true enemy, who is trying to plunder us and cause us to experience his wrath. this psalm is written when David's falsely accused by treason, the Cush, the Benjaminite, who worked for King Saul. Go check out 1 Samuel 24 through 26, 1 Chronicles 29. So what are we to do about this today? Look at what David asks of his protector. Verse 6, he says this, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. In your anger, David said, 
we saw that David said he wanted nothing to do with the Lord's anger? Remember why he wanted nothing to do with the Lord's anger? Because it was unbearable. Yet he actually is calling down the Lord's anger against his enemies. He's praying. He repented, and now he's praying. Does that sound familiar? That's what Christians are to do. Repent of your sins, turn from your ways, and then you need to start praying to God and asking Him for help, asking Him to represent you, to find refuge in Him, because God is the righteous right judge. Many of us want to take our own judgments and put them into action. Trust me, I just drove to Detroit yesterday. I hit Brighton, and I was doing 80. I thought I was speeding. Several people were passing me. And I thought, man, I wish I was a cop right now. I mean, 90, 95 miles an hour, people were just flying by everybody. I even said it to the kids. I said, I thought I was driving fast. People were just crazy fast. And so I wanted to call down judgment. But I had to leave that to God. He's the one who's the righteous right judge. I'm not. Today, David is asking God to bring him is the righteous right judge. We all need and we all should be calling on him to help us in our times of need. God is not dispassionate. God is not without emotion. As many people think he is, he's not distant and cold. He doesn't, he's not like some deist. God is not a deist. Deists believe that God created the world and then left it to its own devices. That's not how this works. This is not the true God of the Bible. As the enduring word commentary put it, David's prayer for protection and vindication was not fundamentally selfish. He knew that his fate was virtually connected to the welfare of God's people. It was in large measure for their sake, the sake of the congregation. David knew that God was going to be there, and he didn't want the anger to fall on him or God's people. He wanted it to fall on God's wasn't for Christians, we'd still be living in violence. If it wasn't for Christians, we would still have racism. If it wasn't for Christians, we would still have a racist system. If it wasn't for Christians, we wouldn't have very many hospitals. You understand what Christians are trying to do. It's as a Christian trying to bring the love of Christ to many, through many different avenues. We wanted to stop slavery. Go look at what Abraham Lincoln wanted to do and how often he quoted the Bible when he wrote the Emancipation Proclamation, the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, because he knew slavery was wrong.
verse 8 tells us that truth, when it comes to God's judgment of all people, here it is. It says this, the Lord judges the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to the integrity that's in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. See, here's the thing we can find in our uniqueness. The righteous judge. It's not about my judgment. It's not about your judgment. It's about his judgment. God is the righteous judge because of his moral purity. Verse 45 of Leviticus says this, verse 11, or chapter 11, For I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 11.45, 1 Peter 1.16, they're using the same thing because they know who God is. Psalm 11 tells us this, From David, the Lord is the righteous. He loves justice. God's righteousness is expressed here because he's willing to pass judgment. He's willing to pass judgment on sinners. He's willing to vindicate the innocent. The title for the righteous one is the attributed to Jesus. And so we can look to Jesus and see that he's the one who's going to judge the living and the dead. 2 Timothy 4.1, Romans 14.10 tells us that we all should going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. John tells us that we have an advocate in Jesus. 1 John 2.1, as Christians, we can be safe and assured and find completeness in the righteous judge as we're sitting under his tree of refuge. That's what David was trying to do, is sit under the tree of the refuge of him. I don't know about you guys, but that comforts me. It comforts me to know that I don't need to fight all the fights that are out there, that I just need to repent and pray. I need to find my trust and refuge in God. And I know that my completeness comes in His judgment of not just me, but of those who hate Him. And I can find comfort there. So what we need to do is find comfort in the refuge in times of trouble in God. To turn to God, because verse tells us, verse 10 tells us everything we need to know for life and godliness today. He says this, My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is our righteous judge, and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet the sword. He is bent and ready in his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrow fiery shafts. Jesus is our Savior, refuge. Jesus is going to win the final battle. Jesus has won the war. And we need to share this truth with as many people as possible because when we don't, too many perish. God has called us to do something. It's to serve our neighbor. It's to love our neighbor. Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. And we Christians, that should be our goal. That should be our want, to help those who are in need, to help the less fortunate, to take care of the needs of others, to take and think of others more important than ourselves, to help others find this refuge and Savior. Because there is no other place in this world. There's no other tree. I, I know this because I heard the discussion of what my daughter told me 
what she was having to deal with. And I can tell you right now, all roads don't lead to Rome. Not every religion will make it to heaven. In fact, according to Jesus, there's only one. That's very exclusive. It's those who put their trust and faith in Him. There's no other road. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you've got friends who think that they're going to make it because they're good in their other religions, this is the tough part. This is where we have to share the truth and then we have to step back and pray. It's not easy because they might not want to be our friends anymore. I get that. I've lost friends. I've lost family members who won't talk to me because I share the truth. And I'm not going to relent. It's hard, but the truth is the truth, whether we like it or not. There is no your truth. There is only the truth, and that's Jesus Christ. So we need others to find this refuge and Savior. Because otherwise, we find verse 16, or verse 14 through 16, starts to prevail. It starts to win in our lives. Are you ready? <laughs> Here it is. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into that hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and his own skull is violent descent. Evil is very real today, people. You can't say that in this world. I don't know why I can't call something evil and not be considered a bigot, racist, misogynistic, anti-whatever. starts to be accepted. Guess what? It started all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. That's when evil really truly came into this world, the fall of mankind. We, mankind, gave birth to evil. And we today are pregnant with mischief and lies. If you don't believe me, turn on the television. Every show is trying to say that in public. Did you know that? Because I'd get canceled for saying that there is evil on television, in the newscasts, or in the movies. We're trying to normalize things that are evil. We are definitely living in a time where people say good things are bad, bad things are good. Christians 
that evil is okay. Because we don't want to oppress other people. When you're feeling it, go look up if you get a chance. Go look up progressive Christianity. Go on Google and hit the words progressive Christianity. You'll actually see people use the Bible, take it out of context to fit a narrative that they think it should fit. When God clearly says, this is evil and wrong. We have people today that teach the Bible, they teach it wrong because they can prosper from the gullible, from the weak. We have people who take advantage of others because they have power or money or they think it's okay because nothing bad ever happens to those who are in power. Slowly over time, we've had this ability now where we just kind of are desensitized. We actually had in the 90s a famous running back murder two people and got away with it, and people were in the out in the places in the in the streets cheering and being happy. We've had presidents get away with lying and cheating and stealing. We've had heads of the FBI. We've had heads of the CIA. We've had heads of the NSA all lying and cheating and stealing because they have power and they know they're not going to get in trouble. And it's evil. The only refuge we can have is knowing that God is the righteous and right judge. Because we have people who live in this world today who are thinking of ways of rewriting history so the narrative that Christianity is not good and did nothing good for anything. We have people who take and dig their own graves and they fall into their holes because they make the hole and then they blame others for their mess. Politicians are famous for doing this. We think up evil. We live out evil. Even our best motives in this life as Christians are blood-stained rags according to God. Isaiah 64, 6. It's talking about menstrual rags. Our best motives are blood-stained rags to God. And so we need a Savior from ourselves. The saying in Isaiah 5:20, it still rings true today. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The bell has rung. We need someone to save us from hell. Hell is eternal separation from God. The only way we can do that is by the last verse that David wrote in this psalm. It says this, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to His righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. We can find that one lone tree, it will be our shelter and our refuge, and eventually it becomes the righteous right judge where we find truth and peace. Our one love that we really need. Do we call on Him? 
we sing praises to Him? As for me, because I knew I was a sinner saved by grace, I call on Him. In fact, I'm going to call up Susie right now. Wouldn't mind come up here for me. Before we close, I want you guys to do something with me. I don't know if you guys can put it up on the screen or not, but I want to sing a song with you guys because it still rings true in my heart today. It's in your hymn books, 429. 429. It's the song, Amazing Grace. So I'd like to sing that with you today. And if you wouldn't mind, before I pray and end the sermon, why don't you stand with me and let's sing Amazing Grace together. Heavenly Father, we just pray His amazing grace too sweet to sound and save the wretch like me and all of us. We pray, Lord, that Your will would be done, that we would learn to find our refuge in the righteous right judge. Lord, as we are about to embark on our day and our week, I pray that you would keep us from the hot sun beating down on us, that we would find our refuge in you, that we would repent and pray, and we would look to you always for the right way to love others well. Pray, Lord, that this world would find your true wrath that you would save us from hell, eternal separation from you. Lord, bring your judgment down. And if it's because of what I've done, Lord, I pray you'd forgive me of my sins. You'd forgive all of us of our sins. And we learn to repent and turn from our ways and turn to your ways. And we look as we're plowing the field. We pray to the Lord of the harvest for laborers, because the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few, Matthew 9, 37. So, Lord, I pray that this church would have many workers, laborers, who are looking to the harvest that you've created for us. Because we plant the seed, we water the seed, but, Lord, you're the one who grows it. I pray that this church would grow in its love for you. Holy Spirit, do a work in all of us. Save us, because we give thanks to you due to your righteousness. And we sing praises to you because you are the Most High. I thank you for today. I thank you for all you have done. And I pray because of who Jesus is, his character, I pray all of this in Jesus' name.